0: And we're here. Poke the Bear episode 169. That's Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Marinovsky. Connor, I'm back. I'm back. You couldn't keep me away from Poke the Bear. I just, I, I had to like, you know, kind of push Ty out of the way and get him out of here. And, But I'm back. You can't can't keep me away that long. Can't keep me we, away we, that long. We've been waiting
1: for you, Evan. We were kind of worried you were going to just jump into the... Uh... <laughs> The the video with me and Ty, that was just going to be like, you'd have like the glass break, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, you just (laughs) jump into the screen, play threes into the game. Didn't happen, but no, we're happy to have you back.
0: Well, I'm happy to be back. Uh, And that's, again, I said it on Bruins Beat, that's going to be the norm this year. A lot of different people, uh, a lot of different guests are going to be coming on. You and I will still be doing our normal shows, but we'll be doing more shows with different people, which is cool. Get some extra, get some different points of view. I had Pat Donnelly on Bruins Beat. He was great. Um, Ty was, was great on Poke the Bear. I listened to it. I wish I could have just jutted on to it, uh, but but I was obviously watching uh, after the fact. But uh, yeah, thank God the regular season has started. I am so happy. We're done preseason, done. Um, centennial opening week is kind of done. Uh, but a hell of a job by the Bruins in the festivities. I thought the opening ceremony was amazing. Uh, what did you think of the whole shebang this week?
1: Yeah, uh, I think Bruins, you know, knocked it out of the park. Uh, just the amount of legends you had there, like the proper tribute to years past. Um, obviously great seeing guys like Orr and, and Bork and and all those players, but even guys who usually aren't around as much, right? Like Phil Esposito being there was great, him, him next to, to Orr. You had uh, obviously Tim Thomas being back, which um, was deafening there. There's a lot of great cheers. There's, you know, whether it's Or Bergeron, Chara, Thomas, who's loud. I mean, on Lucic being introduced the first time, that was loud. Um, so it was a great night. I think people are really excited. Um, as much as you look back at last year and how I think probably soured everyone is still over that. The same thing happens every year. People, <laughs> people at the end of April, early May, are like, this, I'm done with this team. And then you get the... You get a little chill in the air. You go apple picking. You're like, hockey's back. I'm ready to roll again. And uh, the runes did a good job, I think, getting an already riled up crowd uh, really into it. And it also helps if they won. That helps quite a bit.
0: It does. You know, it's funny. I've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter and just kind of in the media sphere over the last couple of days. People being like, you know, you shouldn't care about this team. You know, the regular season with this team clearly doesn't matter. And I know everyone had sour grapes. Uh, you know, it was all bad after the end of last season, rightfully so. It was terrible. Um, but this is a different team. Different identity. No Bergeron. No Krejci. Hall and Bertuzzi were, were you know, departed in the offseason. Like, they're sorta of underdogs, and we'll get into it in this episode. But like, I just think they're a different team. Two guys made their NHL debuts the other night. Um, so again, I just I, you know, yes, last season was heartbreaking. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, but it's a different team. It's an underdog-like team. A little bit. Um, and we'll get into that uh, throughout this episode. But uh As advertised defensively the other night. I mean, I know it's the Blackhawks. The only real offensive threat there is Connor Bedard. Um, But it was at least in... Who's really good. Who's really (laughs) good. What did you think of Bedard? What did you think of Bedard?
1: uh, I mean, impressive, right? I think you just see a guy with that level of skill elevates a very pedestrian, if not, dare I say shitty roster uh every yes time he had the puck. every time he was out there on the ice like even like transition like starting in the d zone was making things happen and i think obviously the the goal was impressive just the awareness kind of a full kind of 200 foot play there from him but it was one play i think it was in the second period where he had a shot i think it was in like the high slot where it was like a wrist shot and like i think it sailed over omar but i think everyone including omar was like shit <laughs> like that releases that guy that guy like again I think you always try to temper expectations. People talking about a guy, he's going to hit 100 points. That guy could be a 40-goal scorer right off the bat. Like with that release, it's it's legit.
0: Yeah, and again, I mean, he's going to do it with, you know, Donato and Hall by his side. We'll see what the injury status is of Hall. But, um, you know, again, to just do it the way, you know, probably a solo effort for a lot of the year. There were even some really nice passes he made that would kind of go to nobody. I think it's mainly because, well, if a good teammate was – on his line that they would be there uh, or I think it was a power play or something where I saw him make a really nice cross zone saucer pass and nobody was there. And it's like, well, that's, I'm not going to put that on him. I think that's on the guys playing with him. Um, The release is ridiculous. The shots really good. And I just think the hockey sense is so elite. Um, So yeah, yeah, I have, I think he hits around 80 points this year. I think that that's not an over-exaggeration. A uh, lot of coverage of him. <laughs> I mean, I saw the the Bleacher Report uh, hockey page put up, uh, like, Connor Bedard on tour. These were his national broadcast dates, and the comments were all like, all right, we're sick of this. Like, this is out- yeah, <laughs> I'm done with this shit. So, um, but yeah, I think defensively, though, like, I really liked the way Carlo played Bedard, uh, which is a good thing, obviously. Sort of one of your go-to shutdown guys. Uh, what did you think of them overall defensively?
1: Yeah, no, I thought it was a really strong game. And again, I think as you expect, and we'll probably talk about this, first game, a lot of stuff still disjointed. Top six, work in progress. they Got to find the right pieces. Power play, I think we mm. already knew that was going to be work in progress. Not, I mean, you have skill there, but whether it's Galaxaca being a left shot and those kind of different dynamics, I honestly thought the, the second power play unit was was better. I think they had more cohesion. Um, but that's stuff to, to be expected. I think the first two games, it's all a lot of – Energy, excitement, which is why I was not surprised to see a lot of more steady production from the bottom six there. Like they kind of know what, what their job is day in and day out, and they're able to provide that out of the gate. But yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before. If this Bruins team is going to punch and stick into the playoffs, it's going to be defense and goaltending, and they stood tall in, in that game, right? Like I think you look at, we've mentioned, oh, yeah, you know, you have issues with the third pairing there. You could have guys that could get. You have some weak links, especially had five five-on-five play. As long as you got uh, a, a roster where Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy are, are on the ice and accounted for forty-five minutes out of a sixty-minute game, you're doing pretty well, right? Like I think you look at that Lindholm and Carlo pairing, and I, I hope we get to a point now. And I think you saw it last year when Carlo signed that extension. People we were like, "Ah, that's too much money. That's too much," you know, for a guy like him. If you keep him with uh, Hampus Lindholm and how well they play off each other. Uh, you've got a very, very good top four right there with a guy like Carlo as well. And um, I was reading something. I think it was like a video breakdown. I forget the name, but it was someone who was going through film, and they said, like, Carlo's a guy that, again, he may not really stand out that much, but, like, how good he is with gaps, not letting guys get beat clean behind him. Like, he's really a guy that's, that, like, gets absolutely embarrassed in the D zone, which happens to even the best defenseman night in and night out. Um, but both those guys were, uh, you know, lockdown defenseman out there 20% of his own time Bruins still had an overwhelming edge in shots and shots on goal when they were out there even with that pairing in and of itself like you're in a pretty good spot and as more more cohesion happens with McAvoy and Grislyk, uh the top six power play uh, you've got a very very good foundation it's not even looking at we even talked about Olmark who was great so
0: yeah it's funny Carlo's interesting because you know he's not that offensive not the best with the puck you know he's not the most aggressive with the puck but without the puck, he's one of the most aggressive defensemen in the league. It's stepping up. I know the video you're talking about. The gaps and stepping up on guys as they enter. Uh, that He doesn't let people just kind of come in to his own zone. So, yeah, I agree. I, I think that, as we've said a lot in the preseason, like that's going to be their bedrock this year. Goaltending and defense um, is going to be their thing. Again, it's hard to judge that off against the Blackhawks. You, know, you can kind of do little takeaways with Bedard. Uh, it's gonna be hard to judge off the first bunch of games. There's a yeah. lot of uh, of uh, of heavy hitters in the opening slate of games, uh, but I think that kind of gives them time to settle in. Now, obviously, I think the big question on the back end is more so Forbert and Shattenkirk and sort of how they uh, piece it together. Obviously, it's not the fastest duo. Um, I thought you know Shattenkirk had his moments um, on Wednesday night. Um, you know, again, I think they gotta kind of they've kind of got to be used sparingly um what do you think of that pairing
1: yeah i mean i actually thought chad and was actually pretty good in that game i thought he was very meh in the in the preseason but i thought he was solid again he's not flashy he's not even probably the same player he was during his prime years like he's not fastest skater he's not like for a guy that you know can put up a, a pretty solid amount of points for a defense but he's not uh a guy that's gonna make a lot of highlight reels but just kind of knows where to go with the puck. His, like, shots seem to always make it to the goaltender. Like, he's, he's pretty good in that regard. Um, and, again, if you can just complement that pairing and not try to do too much, right, like, that's what you want. You don't want – you're not trying signing Kevin Shattenkirk to be the top four star he was for the first, you know, 10 years of his career. Even, with, like, on a very bad Anaheim team, he was averaging 20 minutes a night. You're not looking for him to do that. But if you can keep it simple on that third D pairing and keep them afloat, especially at five-on-five play, like – We know what Derek Forbert can do on the PK, but um, if they can just continue to minimize mistakes, play clean hockey, that's all you're asking for. And I know they did a pretty good job uh, on Wednesday against Chicago.
0: I'm curious again, as they play better teams, I wonder if with Shattenkirk and Forbert, you know, obviously they're going to play certain matchups. You know, they're not going to be most likely against other teams' top lines. I wonder how Ian Mitchell factors into the situation. Um, Because again, he's. Different game than Shattenkirk, right? A little faster, a little more, ca- little more Connor Clifton and Ian Mitchell, which is kind of cool. Uh, but I wonder how much, you know, what his usage will be if he sees time instead of Shattenkirk. I know obviously Shattenkirk provides you sort of a power play guy, uh, but I'm kind of curious to see how uh, that plays out. But enough about the defense. Enough about the defense. Uh, let's get to the fun stuff, which I was a defenseman, so I, I, you know, I can admit it's not always the most fun back there. Um, but Matty Potra, Matt Potra, Ooh. heck, heck oh. of a debut. Potheads, <laughs> we're the Potheads, remember? Um, gets an assist on the first goal of the season, which is incredibly ironic that he's making an impact from the jump. Um, what, what did you take away from his opening game?
1: Yeah, I think it's just the poise, right? It's a guy that doesn't seem to get rattled out there, right? And he didn't have any situations where, again, Chicago's not really the biggest team, so it wasn't like – times where he's fighting through contact but always needs to put himself in the right spots right doesn't panic with the puck like instead of like rushing a play or something like knows when to knows when to cut into the inside when there's a chance but also knows when to curl outside when he like knows there's nothing there and he's waiting for I got to get open like just that processing ability at that age is really impressive for for a player like that um and I, I think what even sticks out is it's something that Jim Montgomery mentioned is how he is without the puck like I think the biggest hurdle for a guy like that is not just the physicality, but understanding the Bruins D zone, uh, which is pretty complex. You know, it's not, uh, you know, it's a lot of zone. It's not a lot of man to man. So Montgomery said that he's picked it up right away, but even when he doesn't have the puck, like he's putting himself in good spots. Like, I don't know how many exact like high danger chances he had, but there were two or three where he just put himself down around the net front and a puck found him. Like that's, again, you don't teach that. That's just instinct. And for a guy at that age who's still – what is he, 180, soaking wet, right? Like, to, to know to go into those spots, generate chances, like, keep on doing that beyond just the, the evident playmaking ability he has. Hang around the net front, you you pick your spots like that, you're going to produce. And I think also what helps out, I don't know if it's a direct result of Patra, but I think he's getting a lot out of Frederick and Gigi as well. Two guys that I think had really quiet preseason until the last game when Patra was in there. But I, I think you look at, you know, we look at, potcher and all right what does he need to do to stick up the nhl ranks can he go up to the top six you also need the guys around him to produce and pull on the rope as well and i think frederick and you both are really really strong in that game especially frederick like if frederick we've talked about him i think probably 20 times since the offseason of what we have in a guy like that and whether last year was a shooting percentage was it just off the charts or, or what have you plays like that uh it plays like he did on wednesday he's gonna be a very productive play-driving guy on that third line. So I think that was also really encouraging to see.
0: Yeah, I agree on Frederick. I thought that was just the perfect way to start his season. You get the goal. He had a bunch of other chances. Yeah. Very noticeably effective in that game. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, Patra, I, just the smarts. Like you mentioned it, curling out, uh, You know, figuring out when to, to cut to the net, get to the high-danger areas um, is impressive. And for a 19-year-old kid to be able to come into the National Hockey League and do that, is incredibly impressive uh and that's why again i think we both are on the same page about this you know i think he sticks longer than nine games i think he sticks the whole season because that's the only other option <laughs> other than the nine games um but i just and i think it's even more impressive and you know we'll see over the next couple games uh you know longer sample size of how he does with a frederick and a geeky to be able to produce with those guys now i would rather him be in the top six i think it's more beneficial to the team I think it's more, obviously, entertaining, but I also just think it's better long-term to get him those top six reps with a Marshan and a DeBrusque. But I think it says a lot about him if he can continue to produce uh, with Geeky and Frederick and be able to kind of, you know, with Frederick trying to drive more play, Patra being a good, solid centerman um, on that line. But uh, before we get to the rest of our conversation, Connor, we got a message from our good friends over at FanDuel.
1: Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can bet on everything, from spreads to player props and more. And frankly, that's the best part about FanDuel, is that you can bet on anything. You wanna bet on how many touchdowns Mac Jones is gonna throw this year? be my guest maybe how many wins the Bruins are going to have in 2023-24 go for it you can really do it all so bet now on an app that's safe secure and super easy to use plus when you win you can get paid instantly so visit fanduel.com slash boston and kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss FanDuel official partner of the NFL 21 plus and present in mass first online real money wager only $10 $10 deposit required bonus issued as non withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt restrictions apply See terms at fanduelcom sportsbook gambling problem hope is here go to GamblingHelpLineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24 7 support play it smart from the start go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234
0: so, again, Patra, I, I just, it's a godsend for this team. <laughs> like, when you really think about it, we, you know, we've said it before, just how lucky and fortunate they are that, that he's panned out so far, you know, again. um, But just the traits, do you, where would you like him after one game in this lineup?
1: I mean, I think for right now, I would probably keep him on the third line. For right now, again, we get past the nine-game sample size, all bets are off, and hell, like, I would not be surprised if, uh, you know, if you still have some stagnant play in the top six and you're playing, like, a juggernaut team like this San Jose Sharks. Like, I would not be surprised <laughs> if they give him some some reps up there to see if maybe he could uh, change up that top six grouping. That's, like, I think for right now, because I think it would be one thing if maybe Pacho was making plays, but guys like Frederick or Gigi weren't, you know, following up or generating chances as well. But right now I think keep them in that spot, see how they continue to go, because I think you also want to get, if Potter is this really gifted playmaker that's driving play, get Frederick and Geeky involved as well, right? You you need a third line to really be humming along. So um, I'm good with keeping them there for now. I think you look at the rest of the top six. I'm not going to change, you know, the two guys down the middle right yet, at least on a, a steady basis. Um one line I was intrigued by, though, is putting DeBrusque with uh, Zaka and Pasternak. That was a line I think Montgomery turned to later on in the third period. I just think that complements what that line can do in terms of if you're making an offense-focused line and just how DeBrusque can drive play and can generate chances on his own um, with that speed, I still think when you look at whether it's him or Van Riemsdyk, if you wanted to be playing with pace, I really like DeBrusque in that role, um, which, again, can kind of really change the whole – a whole bunch of how the Bruins make that approach. But it does seem like early on through these first few weeks, you're going to see a whole lot of Montgomery shuffling guys in and around to see where the best fit is. I agree with you that I think we get to middle of November and Patra staying here. I'm all for putting Patra in the top of six, coiled down on the third line and, and letting those pieces fall where they may after that. But at least for right now, I think it's going to be a lot of experimenting if you're in Montgomery in terms of finding, you know, what are the, kind of the duos you can pair with guys on, on these top three lines see where they best fit? Because so I don't think you have to touch anything with the fourth line. Keep that line in place because that line was dynamic, I think, on Wednesday.
0: That line cooked, as the kids say. Yeah. I, I yes. love that line. I think, uh, you know, again, it's the Blackhawks. But I think Lucic has a little offensive upside to him that, you know, I mean, he used to – I'm not saying he is now, but he used to be a top six stalwart. He you still like see, one. when you when he has the puck in the offensive zone, you still see sort of those instincts kick in of that that playmaking. I'm not even just talking about uh, the Pasternak goal, but just kind of, you know, facilitating play. You almost set Lauko up with a goal in like the first yeah. couple seconds. So um, I love the fourth line. I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think that fourth line works. Again, it's one game, but I think that line, you've got something there.
1: And 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 with like that speed with Lucic, I think the one thing I almost forget because you don't see it especially in person with Lucic, is like I think it's really important having two really fast skaters in Lauko and Beecher with him that can make things happen on the four check, um, can kind of get you know, get into the offensive zone, do those things. But also like Lucic, when he's holding onto the puck, like along the boards, you're not locking him loose. Like no. so whether it's those guys getting to the net front and him doing kind of the dirty work of just kind of pressing pause on the play like when he has the puck like no one's taking from him you can kind of slow things down and get guys set up as long as you have him kind of staple to the boards there with the puck on his stick so having that very two different skill sets on one line together all of which can do a lot of damage uh, you know for a fourth line one game but a lot to like of how those guys I think can really mesh together
0: yeah, Lucic. There was one uh, early in the game. He went in the went for a loose puck with Taylor Hall, and you can see Taylor Hall kind of like you know stop up a Shit. bit because it's like I'm just I'm not getting it from Lucic. I just can't, it's impossible. Um, top six though. Back to that. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I I agree. The DeBrusque, You know, if you need a DeBrusque, Zaka, Poshnak, play with a little pace. It's a great idea because then that kind of frees up. You know, Van Riemsdyk probably doesn't play with uh, a coil and a Martian. You can kind of finagle that. Um, the other interesting thing about coil, uh, cause if Potra moves up and played with like, um, and played with a Martian and a DeBrusque, uh, you know, sort of coil Frederick geeky becomes sort of, I guess the shutdown line, um, in your, in your, you know, of your four lines. Um, but an interesting thing that, that Pat Donnelly brought up to me on Bruins beat that I, I didn't hate the idea, you know, it goes along with, You got to keep those guys paired together, right? You got, you know, uh, Zaka, Pasternak, and you want to even do Marcian de Brusque. But an interesting one would be uh, if you really needed a goal or you really wanted to shake things up, Zaka, Patra, Pasternak. I'd love to see that just for like a period or two. I know, I know. Zaka is... The guy at center, you know, he's you, you know you know what you're going to get out of him as a center. You want him at center. I agree, but part of me likes that idea a lot. Um, as sort of an offensive juggernaut type line. So, uh, but again, I don't want that permanently. I do not. I I want Zaka at center. I, that's that's where he should be. Um, but again, I think pot pa- again, Patra opens up a lot of opportunities there. A lot of different avenues yeah. uh, of mixing and matching that you didn't have a month ago. Um, so again, that's why I think he's got to stay because he he looks the part he looks the part so yeah. far so absolutely we'll see, we'll and it's see also one that. of those
1: things it's one of those things like briefly where it shows how much like our opinion or how much we have like a, a preconceived notion of what the line's gonna look like that i think at least i was like high on morgan geeky i thought he has a lot more to give and it's not to say that i don't think he does that he won't but if he was your 3c going into the year, i'm like yeah i think that you could make things work and now i'm like they got to put Patra in there because if it's not like either Patra or Coil, eventually, like I don't know, it's like it shows you just how much one guy like Patra can really kind of change that narrative and change your your viewpoint as to what you think is probably the best, you know, twelve forwards you can put out there.
0: Someone asked me this earlier in the season, or uh, early in the preseason, and said, you know, how much does Patra change your outlook on this Bruins team? I mean, I I've had them kind of in third since the start. He didn't change it a ton for me, but again, I think if he continues to pan out the way he is and he gives you 40 45 50 points like I think you're in a, you know you're not in a whole new you're not like you know I don't put you in the cup contenders yet but you're right there like I, I don't know how much do you think he changes the outlook of this team
1: Uh yeah I mean I think it gives you a lift like I think still your success is based off of um uh I think a lot of it's still based off of um your defense and your goaltending, but otherwise I still think it's a situation where if he can give you more, I think it just lets guys settle more into these roles. I don't know if, if Potter hits, you become a juggernaut or anything like that, but it just makes things that much easier. I think of, of finding ways to get your best forward grouping out there. That's the biggest question, mark: is how much these guys can produce. If, if Patrick can step in and guys settle more into the roles they're best catered towards, whether that's coil or, or what have you, um, it just makes it that much easier for the Bruins to carve their path to the playoffs.
0: I agree. I agree. So we'll see what sort of happens with this team going forward. I do want to hit on this. The All-Centennial team dropped uh, on late Thursday night. Late Thursday night it came out. You were a part of the process, uh, as well as many other Bruins writers, historians, Boston sports writers. Doc Emmerich was a part of it. Um, so I actually just I watched the video early Friday afternoon when it came out. About the decision process, and to no one's surprise, obviously, you know, Bobby Orr was Ty, Ty Anderson uh, had Bobby Orr first, and no, nobody objected. And there were many players like Cam Neely, typical, and Ray typical Bork. tie,
1: dropping in a hot take, right? Yeah, that.
0: right, starting things hot. Um, Would have been funny if he went for someone somewhat controversial, you know, first pick, like I'm, I'm going out. Uh, but again, I understand why he went with or first it makes the most sense. Um, would have been funny though, if or was you guys like jokingly had like, or as like the sixth defenseman, um, entire group to buy in. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. Though. The video was nuts. You know, when, uh, when Ty Anderson, uh, uh, slammed Matt Porter through a table, you had Scott McLaughlin in a chokehold at one point. I mean, it was pretty hot. I, I
1: really thought, I really thought they weren't going to put that in the final cut. Like I thought there was going to have a little bit of leeway where you weren't going to show us look like a bunch of degenerates out there, but I guess it was the, uh, I was unfiltered commentary. So,
0: Oh, they, they, they put everything on there. Those pesky Bruins. Um, So I like from an outsider perspective forwards and D I had no real issues with. Um, Obviously I think there were guys that could have made it. uh, But I think you, you guys, you know, the group came to the right consensus on the, the 12 and the six for forwards and D. You nailed uh, Eric Russo nailed it from the start. Um, Goaltending was going to be the biggest thing. Uh, there were s- five goalies, really, who all had legit cases for two spots. Um, obviously, the the five goalies that it really came down to were uh, Frank Brimsek, uh, Jerry Cheevers, Tiny Thompson, Tim Thomas, Tuka Rask. Lots of T's in there. Um, and it came down, the two final ones were Cheevers and Brimsek, but it was... I mean, votes. It came down to really Cheevers and Thomas for that last spot. Um, what did you think of the goaltending debate?
1: Uh, I thought it was hell. Yeah, I mean, it was one <laughs> where I don't think anyone was going to come away with it being like, nailed it. Like, there's some guys that, like, you know, I voted for, like, for my nominee was David Krejci, which I hope was going to make the, the cut. Um, and again, the last two floors in were Krejci and Poshnok, which I thought were essential guys. So, like... I'm happy if I, if like both those guys did make it, then I would leave being like, you know, just what what the hell are we doing? Um, but goaltending, everyone's going to leave being like. And so, like for me, I, I thought it was important to have at least one of uh, Rask or uh, or Thomas in the in the group. I think not only is the era uh, of what they were in, but uh, just the the body work they put together. Like Thomas, we know. Two Vesnas, what he did in twenty eleven was absurd. Like the, the record in and of itself of what he did, two shutouts in game seven of the conference final and the cup final. Um what more needs to be said about just that year. Everyone knows about it. But Rask, the amount of runs he, he put this team on. Again, the one thing against him is just not getting them over the hump, which again is not does not fall on his shoulders. The guy would have won the con smite in twenty nineteen had everyone else showed up, but those are the breaks, right? I guess when, when you've got one, uh, just how stacked the goaltending position is for Bruins history. So um, it ultimately came down to Thomas or achievers. And I just think for Thomas, it's like, yes, you know, maybe he won't end up being a hall of famer, uh, Tim Thomas, but for how good uh, he was during that run to, to lift his team to a Stanley cup, you know, for, as disappointing, I think, for this era was for the Bruins fans. You can probably spin them as disappointing of that they only had one cup. Just imagine what it would have been if guys like Chara and Bergeron and Krejci and Marchand and all these guys didn't have a cup on top of all of it. And I don't think you would have had it if you didn't have um, Tim Thomas leading the way. So I thought, you know, he was the guy that warranted it. It's not disrespecting Jerry Cheevers. I mean, like, if you're looking for an icon – Everyone knows that mask. You know, he won two Stanley cups. Um, does help out when you've got Bobby Orr kind of just playing keep away the entire game. But again, like a fantastic clutch player in his own right. I just don't know if at any point was Jerry Cheevers like the best goalie on the planet. Uh, I don't know. When you look at also some of the other guys, there's a guy up in uh, Montreal between the pipes. was also pretty damn good during that, that era as well. Um, but Tim Thomas, I don't know if you can say from, especially like from 09 through 11, or, or at least those two years, you had Rask in the middle there, but for those two seasons, no one was better than him in that. So again, I, I see I see the argument, but damn, it was tough, Evan.
0: Yeah, Tom, it's funny, as I was watching it, it's tough because at first glance when I saw the Santana the, the team, it was like, oh, like Rask, one of Rask or Thomas didn't make it, but then you start to kind of dig deep on guys like Tiny Thompson, Jerry Cheevers, Frank brimzak And you look at the accolades. And again, it's hard to compare eras. That was sort of one of the things you guys always kept running into was, how do you compare the 50s to now? How do you compare the, the 40s and the 30s to the 80s? Like, th- the eras are different. And, you know, I think that was one thing that was so difficult to kind of match up because a lot of these guys are from different eras and different times and goaltending standards were different and, um, and guys had less playoff runs, right? Uh, so, you know, it's so difficult to tell the one thing I kept coming back to though. And this was one thing I kind of debated with Tim Thomas was he just wasn't here that long in the grand scheme of things. But the, the, the thing, and you hit on this Bergeron, Chara, Marshan, Krejci are on that team in large part due to Tim Thomas. And I think Bergeron and Char are on that team anyway. Martian, you can, you know, argue back and forth. I don't know about Krejci. If they don't have that cup, and Thomas, to me, was the MVP of that run. I don't think that's a take uh, specific to me. So it's just so difficult out of those five to pick two. And, you know, I, like, looking at the body of work of all of them, I don't have a strong, you know, Take of, oh, it shouldn't have been Brimsek. I mean, Brimsek seemed pretty, uh, you know, not unanimous, but as close to it as you guys had. Yeah. Um, Cheevers, it's hard to leave off, too, because again, like, you know, backstopped in the two cups, uh, important part of that, you know, run, which was a big, kind of a golden age of the Bruins. Yeah. Um, and then you know Tiny Thompson won. You know, didn't he, he help? He helped win the first the franchise's first cup, and and he had
1: all the records until Rask, who again, like, and yeah. not to discount Rask, it's just at the end of the day, it's the you know banners hang forever, right? And again, that's not necessarily fair, I guess, to, to Rask, but it's how it works, right? Like again, no one feels I think great with, with how it comes out when you got this many talented goalies, and the same like with Brimstack, I, I think for him, it's all about. The context of, I mean, played only nine seasons with the Bruins. Was an All Star eight times. Won two Vesnas. Won two Cups. In 1942, they were probably going to repeat, but they lost pretty much, you know, Schmidt and all those guys that year to World War II. And then the next yeah. two years, Brimsek literally was, uh, I think, in the Coast Guard. So like, he missed one year with like their best players up front, and then two whole years entirely where who knows what would have happened then. Then I think his numbers dipped quite a bit after coming back from World War Two, But, like, from his first six, seven years, like, sub-two goals against lockdown lockdown goalie. So I think it's good having that era at least represented there. But it's, you know, some I would say one guy was going to get left out. You have two or three guys that all deserve a shot that would make it unanimously on so many other teams that are going through the all-time goalie list. It's a, a testament to how many great goalies the Bruins have. But... Still doesn't make us feel any better. I still see that list come out, and like I was very honored to be part of it. And I think a lot of people really put in the the work and the effort to really making sure everyone had a very compelling case, compelling argument. Damn, it was top heaven. It was. Tough.
0: <laughs> it was the Bruins did a great job on that. I mean, they like the, the panel and having people in via Zoom that that couldn't be there. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to the Thomas Rask debate that. We had we've had here for you know for a long time, me and you and and kind of everyone in this age of the Bruins is like you know Thomas was not here nearly as long, but uh, wins a cup in 2011, stands on his head also has the great 09 season, uh, but you have Rask who's been you know was here I think what was it 15 years started for was it 10 of them, um, yeah. you know won a Vesna in there went to two you know backstopped them to two Cup finals like. Just kind of always was successful with him and net, and he holds a lot of the records uh, for the Bruins. So neither guy made it, and so that's why I don't know. I think one of them should have been represented at the same time. Though you know, there there are a lot of representatives from this current era, or you know, at least the pat this past era of Bruins hockey. It's hard, you know. That's why I think leaving off a guy like Tim Thomas is so difficult because you know he wasn't there for the whole era. But had he not been there, it I think that era is looked at very differently. Of like, oh my god, they never could get over the hump. Yes. So that Canucks team was better. I mean, that Canucks team yes. was was yes. better. I mean, yes. <laughs> best offensive team in the league. Like, President's Trophy winners. They were a wagon. That team was ridiculous. And, you know, Seidenberg and Charo were terrific back there. 100%. But go back and watch a lot of those games. They were not without mistakes. They got beat. And it was always Thomas there to make the stop. So... Um, you know, I I just, it's hard to leave Thomas off. That was one that I I just, I don't know. You don't have one without the other. That was my one where I was like, ah, you know, would have been nice to have him on there. And again, you could make the same argument for Tiny Thompson and and Tuka Rask. Um, so were there any D or forwards you felt, uh, should have been on that, that weren't?
1: Uh, I mean, the... The 6-D and the 12 forwards are actually one of the guys I like wrote down going into it. And Again, you have other guys that, you know, McNabb or uh, Ken Hodge. Uh, you know, people uh, mentioned Fernie Flaman. Obviously, Lionel Hitchman has his uh, number of tie. was a key architect in the early days of the Bruins as well. So, like, those guys, you know, just missed the cut there. But I was worried about Dick Clapper, and that was a, a point of, I think, contention or, I guess, debate was whether he's best as a forward or a defenseman best numbers were at, at D, which I think was one important to recognize him there, but also if he was a forward, then one of David Pasternak and, or uh, David Krejci coming out of there and whether it's, you know, Krejci, you know, maybe there's recency bias with the, the amount of guys on that era. But I think someone made the counter argument of like, well, this team has been in the, in the mix for 20 years. Like this is not recency yeah. if it's one of their, again, one cup is one cup, but like you've been in the mix for for decades like teams would kill to have the sustained stretch of success that you have had and then for david posen i guess he's 27 i i forgot who mentioned it but we we're gonna look really really dumb if in you know this list only comes out every 100 years if we look back on this in uh you know 20 what 100 years from now when they're doing the new list and they'll get this one for reference and David Posner, who. Barring injury or anything catastrophic, is going to probably be the all-time leading goal scorer in Bruins history. It looked really dumb. We didn't have him on there the year after he scored 61 goals, right? So um, I, I think that's something where I'm glad that I think everyone saw that he's already an all-time player. Arguably the one or two most gifted goal scorers to ever wear Bruins sweater. And I think he's only going to get better from there. So I was glad we made sure that a guy like him made the cut as well.
0: Yeah, I think uh, for the for the next for the two hundred years, um, we'll work together a little bit more on the list, and we'll we'll okay. come up with yes. something. And in, yes, in uh, in in twenty, I was gonna <laughs> think about
1: the year was, but I can't. Uh, my brain like <laughs> my brain doesn't like, go I'm, that far. Something short circuited. <laughs> so I was like, uh, in uh, another hundred years.
0: <laughs> I just try in my head. I was like, twenty. Is that 21, 23? Like, is that how that's gonna work? Yeah, yeah. There we go. 2123 will be the, the 100 years. So when we we'll, we'll do a podcast in 100 years from now where we discuss this. And what's crazy is when they do that in 2123, they're going to look back at all of the coverage of this because you know, hopefully the internet is still around then and they'll have our podcast to listen to and They'll be like, wow, that that Evan making the case for Tim Thomas. What a what a stupid take that was, and this yeah. and that. So, uh, yeah, I. But yeah, so very well done. Um, very interesting to watch that full kind of debate, and uh, everybody everybody was debating. It was healthy, and people were nice. Uh, aside from those two things I mentioned earlier, the the chokehold and the pushing through the table. I mean, you know. But sometimes things get heated. What are you gonna do? Dudes um, rock. Dudes rock. Uh, that's all, <laughs> that's all there is to it. Um, Anyways, Connor, welcome. To people look forward to from you over at Boston.com and the Boston Globe.
1: Yeah, we're going to be covered every step of the way. Now the season is finally underway. We have a two-game, a two-day bre- two break here, but then we start ramping things up once again, starting on Saturday against the, the Predators. So, have you covered uh, throughout?
0: And then uh, a five-day break. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. Yeah, then yeah, then then West Coast games, which is everyone loves those. So, yep. But at least we have hockey to talk about. We have lineup discussions. We've got. Uh, rookie players we got top six discussion we're we're ready to roll evan we're, we're excited to be back and we'll be covered every step of the way over at boston.com And if you want to follow me on twitter you can at connor ryan underscore 93
0: go do all that and remember to go support our good friends over at fan duel that's connor ryan evan marinovsky poke the Bear listeners have a great rest of your week